Hello and greetings, fellow sci-fi uh, travelers in the podcast realm in cyberspace. This is TJ. Welcome to another episode of Crystalline Sci-Fi, the show where we come to talk about science fiction but end up talking about Batman the whole time. Uh, we also end up talking about the Crystalline Mythos. And what is the Crystalline Mythos? It is a sci-fi mythology with a lot of stories, short stories, and comics, uh, usually just pages at this point, but hopefully more to come in the future, especially if you support the podcast and the art on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash crystallinemythos. Of course, any support is deeply appreciated. And uh, that's how we can form a nice little science fiction community, right? The Mythos Crew. That's what we'll call them. Also, you can check out our website. That's at www.crystallinemythos.com. It's just another good spot to see uh, content. We've got some comics posted there. We've got a couple of the short stories posted there as well. Not quite as much stuff as on the Patreon, but, you know, still a good place to check out the project a little bit. And there you'll find links to our uh, DeviantArt page and to our Instagram page and just to galleries, etc. of art. Um, yeah. Anyways, today we've got um, Valor on the podcast, and we talk about a wide range of uh, topics from the Streaming Wars and Zack Snyder's Justice League uh, to the Crystalline Mythos, where we talk uh, quite a bit about uh, the mythology, and we expand upon a lot of different stuff. And uh, we also talk about some space science fiction concepts at the end, which are worth sticking around for. So I very much hope you enjoy this conversation. All right, let's get started. All right, looks like we're we're rolling. Hey, what's up, Valor? How you doing, man? How's it going, dude? It's going pretty good. I'm ready for the weekend. Happy to be chilling. So, uh, so what's new with you? Have you uh, just in life first, and then we'll move on to in geekdom. Oh, shit, in life, uh, there was a leak in my house, and I my house has been under construction for two months, so I haven't been able to use that. Mm, okay, well that's I not good. Basically, had been had to be here every day, and so I haven't been going into the office at all. So mm-hmm. I've just been stuck in my little office that's packed with a bunch of our plants right now. Mm-hmm. And it's just overcrowded, and I don't know if you can tell I'm in my bedroom right now because I can't sit anywhere else. I guess I'll start with this. Um, the streaming wars are going on, so everybody, when you're trying yes. to watch television, you've got. Um, You've got HBO Max, you've got Amazon, you've got Disney Plus, okay, and you've got Netflix, of course. Those are the big ones. Besides that, you've also got um, Paramount Plus now, and we're starting to get into Paramount Plus? Yeah, you've got Showtime, right? You've got Apple TV. Stars has something, or is that Oh, my God. See, these things, they keep going. But, but, okay, so the reason why I mention these is because... First of all, which ones do you watch? Because I was like, hey, you should watch Invincible, and you don't have Amazon Prime Video? No, not yet. Um, I'm, I'm probably going to get that this weekend just to watch it because Invincible, 
I've read only like the first couple of comics. I mean, I'm familiar with it, its popularity and stuff like that. Never did mm-hmm. get into it, but I know it's been a good, it's just good. Everybody has always said that it's a great storyline and I'd love to read it. But if the show's out, I really want to watch the show, especially since it's much more of a, I mean, I like cartoons a lot already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It seems like to me, it seems like to me, it seems like right up your alley. Like, um, Mark Grayson, uh, Invincible, he's a little bit like Nightwing meets Superman, you know, in a way. Uh, when I picture him, I mean, it seems like a good mix of those. Um, it's got a lot of elements that remind me of DC. Obviously, uh, the Guardians of the Globe are an analog of the Justice League. Right. Yeah, I think they have a lot of similar characters. They have like a Wonder Woman. And War a Woman, Flash. she's called. But... And I'll try not to like, you know, I'll let you watch it yourself, but I'll, I know we already spoiled it in the last episode with John, but um, she fights with a huge hammer and it's rad. Like the noises, uh, pay attention to the, like the sound effects. I don't, I don't know how else to put it. Like mm-hmm. during the action sequences and stuff. Um, yeah. But I, I, there's another episode coming out tomorrow. I'm just, I'm excited for that show. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I actually, one idea that was rolling through my head and I, I, I suppose we probably should talk about the justice league, um, Zack Snyder's justice league and yeah. DC before we get to our crystalline mythos discussion. Um, but, uh, the idea that was rolling through my head is about how these, these streaming services are basically trying to compete on three fronts. Okay. And, um, this isn't necessarily what I imagine their executives are thinking, but just from a geekdom sort of standpoint, you've got, all right, you've got um, science fiction and Disney plus is the easiest example because they have star Wars. So it's like totally, okay, we've got star Wars. We're good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they can, if they work on that IP, then they can, they can build the whole star Wars universe out with all these shows and, and stuff. And um, Disney Plus is also doing really well on superheroes, which is the second one that comes to mind because, because, well, they've got Marvel, which is pretty much the top dog in in the superhero game at the moment, too. Oh, yeah, they totally are. They've been that way for a while. So, I mean, I will, even though I'm a huge DC fan, I will admit the Marvel movies outshine all the DC movies. And I mean, and the comic books are, I think they're a little bit more popular. I'm not sure as far as sales go, but yeah. Yeah. So when I look at the streaming services, I see that uh, two of three fronts are basically covered by Disney plus in this example. The third one would be like fantasy genre, a big like game of Thrones type thing. Mm-hmm. And so HBO, HBO is doing great because HBO has, well, they've got the Game of Thrones IP, and then that covers the fantasy one. And then for um, superheroes, they've got DC, which is pretty strong. Yeah. And um, for science fiction, uh, they're about to have Dune. They just had Raised by Wolves. So I forgot about that. Dune's coming out this year. Yeah, and the the thing I had heard is that they're going to do a Bene Gesserit television show. If that actually comes to fruition. Like say Dune is really popular and then they expand that out into television. Then in my opinion, HBO is going to be like, a. I don't know if, cause I don't think Dune 
will ever garner the success of of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. But if they do Dune and then they do like things like what they did with Raised by Wolves or or Westworld to supplement okay. it, they are doing pretty well in the science fiction game. And then, so you see what I'm saying? These are like yeah, the no. thing you should be thinking about as a streaming service. How yeah. many genres do you have covered? <laughs> well, and okay, so Amazon has fantasy. They've got Lord of the Rings coming up. And I'm very excited about that. HBO ha- uh, yeah, they've got the new show coming out, but HP- does HBO have the Lord of the Rings on it right now? No, no, that's Game of Thrones. The Lord of the Rings. Oh, I don't know about the, the, the trilogy Ooh, films. Maybe. maybe, yeah. But but the new television show is going to be Amazon's show. Right. And, then, um, and then Amazon also has The Boys and Invincible now. So yeah. superheroes, they've got kind of the underdog, the image stuff and the... yeah. You know, but but that stuff's great. So, mm-hmm. um, and as far as uh, science fiction, though, is kind of where Amazon might be lacking a little bit. They have all the Philip K. Dick stuff, but they're not turning it into anything particularly great at this point. I mean, I, I'm not saying Man in the High Castle isn't cool. I'm just mm-hmm. saying that it's not Star Wars level IP as far yeah. as like popularity and, you know. Mm-hmm. So, no, I mean, so anyway. they don't have anything huge for it. I think... Uh, the comic book stuff, as far as that goes, The Boys and Invincible, I think it's probably going to be stronger than even D- the stuff HBO has with DC. Because I feel like a lot of people, as soon as they hear like DC or Marvel, they feel like they have to pick a side a lot. Like mm-hmm. people who know that I'm a big DC fan, they're like, oh, you just watch DC. You don't watch the Marvel movies, huh? You avoid those ones. I'm like, no, I love comics. I love mm-hmm. Marvel. But I'm just, I prefer DC. In this divided world. Exactly right. Everyone must choose a side. Always a dichotomy here, guys. But when you have something that's like image, or like um, uh, an off-brand—not an off-brand, but a smaller brand company—you just I feel like everybody is more accepting of it. It feels much more indie. It feels much more like, oh yeah, this is kind of like this is the comic you guys haven't heard of. We're all cool because we've seen it. Right, right. I I know you. I, I know what you mean, though. Yeah. Uh, because especially with the tone of the boys television show is mm-hmm. that they get to, and it's kind of true with invincible in its own ways. They get to kind of um, be commentary on DC and Marvel. Exactly. Right. Yeah, you Whereas point at that and say, this is more realistic. This is, this is how these people would really be. Right. Yeah. There was a scene there's a, in the boys season two, which, Oh, you haven't, have you watched that? No. If, you know what? Let, All I'll say is, it's like in the first episode, is that they're shooting a film, mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's called like the Seven Dawn of Justice or something. It's very much like a Justice League type movie, and uh, it's very much making fun of the tropes that like you would see with Zack Snyder, where there's a lot of slow motion and uh, <laughs> action sequences, and they're kind of making fun of the MCU as well a little bit in that like. The, you know each character get has their own movies and you know what i'm saying right so so they're just um and then they're the the actual superheroes are like the upset actors on the set which is that's just very much like a commentary on the superhero uh industry you know what i mean the industry of it all yeah it's the one thing in the crystalline mythos that i haven't been able to do that i really want to do is superhero stuff is it I don't see it fitting in very well. So it's just kind of hard mm-hmm. to 
you know, I've thought about it and we can talk about it later, but yeah, we can talk. I was going to say, I feel like you've touched it a little bit. Yeah. I've got no. some ideas about it, but I haven't been able to really do that kind of stuff. Mm. Anyways. Okay. So let's just talk about uh, DC then for a minute before we get to our, the crystalline mythos discussion. Um, so you, you saw, you did see the, the justice league. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's reacting to that right now. And mm-hmm. I mean, I liked it a lot. What did, what was your thoughts about it? I love, I mean, I, as a big DC fan, I loved the movie. I loved seeing a, seeing what Zack Snyder actually wanted to have to show off to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some, re, there were some reshoots, but a majority of the new stuff that we, uh, the new things that we saw was stuff that was already filmed and it's surprising to watch and be like this is what they cut out that's mm-hmm. what and kind of see the difference between what happened when Zack Snyder left and Josh Whedon took over mm-hmm. and you see the differences and you're like this is an entire I mean it was an entirely different movie it felt like the studios I think they're very restrictive like why would they say oh you have to have a two-hour film when you've got a whole roster of superheroes to me, that's right. a little bit silly. If they had split the buck and said to uh, even to just Joss Whedon or whatever, like, hey, like, it's going to be three hours or, or three hours is fine. Or like, mm-hmm. make your own movie or or, or <laughs> like, um, or we're just we're going to put out what Zach shot, shot and that's it. I mean, these would have all been better solutions, but whatever. I'm not trying to complain yeah. about it anymore because at this point, it's like, well, we have the Snyder Cut. So, yeah, we whatever. have the and I, I mean, I, I think even with Snyder Cut, four hours is a long fucking movie. It's yeah, I, it's really good for long. television. It's not good for the theater environment. No, it, I, and I can total, and I can see at least thirty minutes of that we could that you could cut out. Oh yeah, easy. And I'm, I'd be interested. I'm sure people are going to start doing this. I want to see people actually like editors go through, take the movie, and edit it down. Or even, wow, I thought we have the definitive cut at this point. I don't need it to be shorter. Even it's on television. Take both, take both versions and take like the best parts of each one and throw that together. Because there's oh, some people do that. Yeah, right. They do that a lot with the Star Wars prequels, you know, or or not the prequels, the sequel, or I don't know. But they probably do it with all the Star Wars movies. But they're mm-hmm. like, this one's dumb. I'm gonna re-edit it or. Uh-huh. You know, try to take all the cheesy parts out of the prequel movies and make them into like one super badass, like more mature. I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah. I, that's something that people do, and maybe maybe it's just not. I don't. I don't know. I'd have to really uh, see one of these fan edits that uh, spoke to me before I would be like, "Oh, that's cool." Because to me, it just seems like mostly a like, "What? Why are you doing that?" <laughs> I think for me, I mean, because I'm interested in like what the, what I I see what I would take out, and I'd be mm-hmm. interested in what other people would would take out of the movie if it makes more sense. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of the, the films and stuff like of DC, so I'd be down to watch it again. I think that the um, just jumping back on like reactions for the for the yeah. movie, uh, the thing is that one of the things that I love the most about seeing all of this was um like i said you could see the singular voice of Zack snyder now finally in mm-hmm. the film and it was you, 
Cyborg's story. Yeah, was it was way better. Out. He actually was a character in this movie. And mm-hmm. in the original, he plays such a minor role and you don't really get to see anything about him. And I think that like with the flash that he's getting his own movie and he's mm-hmm. also because of the TV show, you kind of don't need to give him his backstory. It's like Batman. Like we don't need to see Batman's parents die every single movie. And we, we, yeah. basically, we basically do. You constantly see pearls dropping every time you see them walk into a dark alley. I mean, how many times have we seen that in a movie? A lot. It happens every time. Like The mm-hmm. Flash, because the TV shows popularity, I think they can avoid telling that story. But Cyborg, I think they got the chance. They, they needed to take the opportunity in the Justice. Yeah, exactly. You don't want Cyborg to be this, like, uh, shoo-in character. And mm-hmm. that's in the Joss Whedon one, it was like, okay, and Cyborg. And it was like they like, and I thought maybe they just they you know he made the cut, but barely. Whereas Martian Manhunter like just didn't make the cut. <laughs> it was kind of like as far as them trying to do. It. But in this version of the film, Cyborg's one of the best characters. Yeah, he really exactly. is. Yeah, I mean he's one of the biggest characters. He's one. He's carrying around a mother box. Like he's. It shows him being much more vital to the team at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd say maybe not to the same degree, but it's similar with with Flash. You know, he's just better developed and um, yeah. maybe they took out some of the cheesier parts and they add, added things that made more sense. And it seemed like in, we were talking about editing, the mm-hmm. editing of this film, it, this movie makes you think about how important editors can be in editing, you know, mm-hmm. because right. there were some scenes where in the old one, there's just like, I remember the scene where, uh, where uh, Bruce Wayne goes to, uh, where is it iceland or wherever wherever aquaman is this village and um and uh, you see aquaman like jump into the water and swim away all fast and in this one the edit they just show bruce wayne and when he looks back it's like aquaman's not there anymore it seemed Mm -hmm. like i don't know more artistic and then these like these um the villagers come out and they start singing some kind of yeah (laughs) uh some kind of local um I don't even know what kind of music you would call that. Um, some folk music, basically. Yeah, some some local folk music. So it's it was interesting. It was it, interesting. It, I mean, that's this the length of that singing scene is definitely one of those parts that I think I you could cut. You could cut easily, but you didn't have to because it's television. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so. with the way that this movie was released. I think that I think part of what Zach did was basically say, you know what, I have all of this film foot, I have all of this filmed footage. Mm-hmm. I'm literally just gonna throw everything at everybody this time. You're yeah. gonna get all. Like no matter how minuscule it was, like the singing scene lasted a while. I'm just gonna put mm-hmm. the whole fucking thing for you guys. There's a scene of Aquaman walking down the pier in slow-mo too, that had the strangest background music had the strangest score going with it i can't remember the song i don't know if you remember that scene at all um i think i do remember it but i don't and i remember thinking it reminded me of the not a superhero movie it reminded me of something you would see in almost like a wes anderson movie or something where it's like because there's all the slow-mo walking scenes in those movies but i don't remember the music uh precisely or anything i just remember the movie having a very different selection in the in its music than you are used to hearing in these movies yeah um and and appreciating it um 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so overall, I think it was pretty good. And I've seen DC have a lot of hiccups recently. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Wonder Woman, I, um, I like Wonder Woman a lot. Um, and I really like the first Wonder Woman film. But the second one, I actually, I was really excited for it because, um, well, because it's set in the 80s, I guess. And I like Pedro Pascal. But I didn't think the film was very good. And I don't know your opinion, but... I, I, t- I completely agree. I watched it with Cherish and we were both a little disappointed by it. Yeah. There was some cool, there's, there's cool moments, but um, I, I, Cher- Cherish was telling me she thought uh, Cord should have died at the end. Um, who? The, the bad guy. Oh, 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 you're talking about uh, Cheetah? Or ch- no, not it- Cheetah. The dude that was making the wishes. I think his last name's oh. Cord. Oh, um, no, it's not Ted Lord, Ford. Lord, Max Lord, Maxwell Max Lord. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, he could have died at the end. Like, it, yeah. Maybe I feel, they're trying I, to save him so they could put him in another film if they wanted to. I don't know. I, th- I think it's also, I think it was because uh, I think Wonder Woman is the studios are trying to market that more towards younger kids yeah more families and stuff and so they they're they're avoiding killing anybody i think i i think yeah that's well it. maybe that's what it is is we're part of the demographic that wants to see um high stakes and uh gore even on screen wonder woman um her fight scenes are really cool in the snyder cut um yeah. i mean yeah those scenes with those i mean she um punches those like i one of those bad guys goes like flying through the wall and his hat falls down you're like oh man that guy got smoked you know yeah no you see, there's one scene where she kicks a dude i think she kicks a dude into the into a wall and as he falls down there's blood on the wall yeah and that and to like, me reminds me of what you see in um see in comic book movies sometimes it, at their worst there's no stakes and um, everybody's going to be just fine or uh, being a superhero is mostly like a performative thing where you come out and you, you look good and you give a monologue to the bad guys. Um, and then, okay, that's level, this movie's um, higher stakes than that. That's kind of almost what I would say, like there was a little bit of that in Wonder Woman 1984. But yeah. in this film, it's a step up in that the superheroes, um, well, there are some stakes and, um, it's stylized though. And you get that, that's when you get start to get the slow motion stuff. And um, yeah, I don't know. I guess the one thing I would say is that these, the, the, the justice league always seem to be fighting away from civilians nowadays. And I think that that's a, maybe Zack Snyder, what he did after he realized in, in man of steel that they destroyed all those buildings. And <laughs> he's right. like, well, let's have them fight in a missile silo away from civilization now um just fight monsters and stuff and it becomes more abstract and it looks really cool but but then when you go to shows like um the boys or invincible what you're seeing is that superheroes they get it's it's not what it's cut out to be like um when you actually go and I'm trying not to spoil anything from Invincible, but, but when you actually have to go and get your hands dirty, like civilians might die and it might be like not pretty. And you're like, oh my God, you know? And um, I actually thought with that Wonder Woman scene that that's a reminder of like what it would actually be like to be Wonder Woman or, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. 
anyway. So I kind of like that idea in superhero movies, like that there's real stakes. Yeah, no, I I I I can appreciate that a lot too. It's I know I know few Batman fans who have kind of who aren't as big of fans of Ben Affleck because of the fact that uh, he uses guns. That's been yeah. I'm I don't really like that he uses guns personally either. But I do like that Batman. um, I mean, it's the same thing. I like the high stakes. I like the idea that. I mean, if Batman punches you, it's not just like, oh, you've been hit. Like, it, no, it's like, right. it hurts. And I yeah. think the Batman is going to do that stuff really well with the way Batman engages uh, bad guys and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be like, okay, this guy's out there like really kicking butt, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm sure you saw that preview where he basically beats the crap out of somebody. Like, who are you? And he says, I'm vengeance. Yeah, or, that that's Batman should be scary like that. Exactly. Um, yeah, if I, if people just feel like they're going to get a bruise and get knocked out, and then they'll wake up and be mostly all right, they're not going to be as afraid as if they watch somebody nearly beaten to death. Yeah, he's just I'm vengeance. You're like, oh, <laughs> that was a pretty uh, scary voice you just did there. <laughs> I'm terrified. Um, uh, w- one joke I heard somebody say something is like, well, you have you have to give Batman a gun when you already made Superman Batman. Like, you know, like they made, and that's one of the criticisms uh, people have of like uh, Snyder's um, take on Superman is that he was too dark or that Batman, they had to make him even dark. But I'm not saying like, I like Zack Snyder's movies, but um, that I get that complaint. But for me, it's just um, the, like, I don't mind if Superman had more of a pop, classic superman feel like i like that stuff i just want it to remain that um the stakes are real so like when he's fighting that if like for instance superman like and we really see this in the boys like with homelander is that um if you get hit by laser vision it'll saw you in half it's not it's not okay to get like you can't just like get some laser eyes and then you're like oh i'm fine when it's convenient like a lot that's the thing is a, a bad superhero movie will have a character like those things don't make sense like sometimes it'll eviscerate a bad guy especially if that bad guy is not an important character like the the red shirts kind of thing yeah. but if they're an important character it just won't hurt them or something i don't know they always do stuff like that like yeah no in, in, in any inconsistencies in like the physics i guess of the world Mm-hmm. It, it pull. I feel like that pulls you out of there. So when you when just like what you're saying, like if certain characters get killed because it's convenient, and certain mm-hmm. characters get saved because it helps the story, you uh, people nowadays I think are more and more realizing, noticing things like that. And yeah, it's pulling us out of it. And I think writers need to become smarter about that and keep a better consistent. Yeah, that's the kind of thing I want to. Uh, that's the kind of thing I want to be able to to work on. Or one of the things I was telling John that I want to work on having um, being able to subvert expectations, like mm-hmm. building things up and then pulling the rug out from underneath the audience, and and having twists and things like that. Because I haven't really worked on that much. I've I've done a lot of lore and world building, and I've done mm-hmm. some action and things like that, but. I'm not doing too much in, as far as big reveals. I don't know. Maybe I, maybe I am, but not in the way that I see like Robert Kirkman do it. And certainly 
uh, when I think of uh, George R. R. Martin comes to mind with, um, he's very good at teasing things out and um, both in his writing and in his interviews. Whereas mm. I uh, feel compelled when I'm talking about the crystalline mythos to just, uh, let me just lay it all out there at this point because, well, sometimes it's because I, you know, I'm busy and I work and stuff. So I can't necessarily, I don't even have time to get it all on the page properly. So at least if I talk about it, somebody listening to this, you'll comprehend it. And maybe, because this is part of the creative process is talking about, um, talking about it. Anyways, I guess we should just, yeah. um, totally. so once again, if you're tuning in and you haven't listened to the show before, it's built around the, the crystalline mythos. So each episode, we spend some of the time talking about it. Um, and that's a science fiction project that uh, our mythology that I've been working on. And, um, and Valor has been uh, pretty instrumental uh, in just giving notes and talking it through with me for a while now. So um, so yeah, that's just one of the things we do each time. I don't know. Did you get the chance to take a look at the Stanley Artaro story? Yeah, I read it yesterday. Okay, so what's your reactions on that? I mean, there's uh, a lot. So for me, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I, I, I read the whole thing. I like the whole idea of basically giving a kind of synop, basically life and death of Stanley Artaro. I didn't realize you were going to go over his death. That kind of like was a shock to me. I was just like, oh, I'm getting... We're jumping forward. And I think that's really cool because to me, I don't, seeing all the big points kind of helps me get an idea of like, this is what's coming. This is what's happening. Um, Mm -hmm. And big thing for people who haven't read it yet. There's some spoilers here, but you talk, you just talked about how Skaith got arrested and is put in that, basically like a nightmare chamber. Like we're going to give, we're going to put you in the sleep cell with your dark nightmare crystal okay well let's let's back up let's say uh, uh let's just talk about uh dr chaz scaife a little bit just so they when you're saying <laughs> this is his ending like who is this guy dr chaz scaife is a crazy mad scientist type character and he is uh he is he's basically the ideological leader of a, a faction in the story called the iconoclast faction and he mm-hmm. operates out of this institute called the Wardenclyffe Institute, which is located north of Machina in the, this area called the um, Monolith, Monolithic Government Wildlands. He's, it was a very old estate and uh, some people bought it and he started working there and then he, he ended up becoming the guy that ran it mm-hmm. after they, um, I don't know if they're dead, but it was bequeathed to him. Uh, because he was a like a psychiatrist uh, there and he had uh, see this is good why we talk these things out because i could write 3000 words about him and we it'd be it concretizes things but um yeah and but when i picture him he basically is like um yeah you like you know when you see like um psychiatric like doctors like the head doctor in a big facility type place or a big um, it's called the Wardenclyffe Institute. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he was running the show and, and yeah, and he was, he had studied, um, dream, uh, mechanics and dream and dream operations. But for a long time, uh, he wasn't able to run his own dream operation because I don't know if you remember this, but in this short story, Sublimina in 179 mm-hmm. DC, uh, Beatrice Delphonic said, uh, no, he can't do that. She yeah. put, um, 
was it in that story or was it in Hypnotica? I'm thinking it's in 179 after the incident with Mira Jax. I don't know. Um, anyways, it, it could be as late as 186 DC when Hypnotica takes place. But the point is, is that Beatrice Delphonic, um, she puts the ice on that. And then so um, it doesn't get to happen. And so it isn't until around the time in 201 DC when, um, when the iconoclasts basically, um, they get the, they get in some situation, they get entangled with the, with Sylvia Moonstone, right when, who, I know all these characters I'm throwing out, but Sylvia Moonstone runs for mayor and she basically wins yeah but when she wins she has to she has to she um she like steps down she like appoints as her i don't know if they would have a vice mayor or as the but or but as the person directly beneath her in the mm-hmm. parliament who's the next person in the line of succession she appoints leona lovelace because leona lovelace basically got the upper hand on her i can't remember in my notes what Oh, what it is, but um, and then so Leona Lovelace becomes the mayor, and Leona Lovelace is one of the new iconoclasts, mm-hmm. and she she uh basically grants all the power to Dr. Chas Scaife, and then he gets to do his dream operation, and the whole public they they get nightmares put in their brains when they're sleeping by this machine, it broadcasts them out instead of normal dream advertisement. Uh, industry stuff and uh, they start to implement um, all of these weird new laws about like you have to wear certain color clothes like grays they're really they're they they don't want people to have brightly colored walls they like start they actually want like a median they say one standard deviation away from gray on a on a color scale is like all that's okay so it's literally like they want to remove um, color mm-hmm. from the palette of of art of fashion of of architecture mm-hmm. all this stuff and um it you know that sounds kind of like uh, poetic or allegorical or metaphorical and stuff but it yeah it kind of i think it just kind of illustrates how they want everybody to to conform you know mm-hmm. and um Anyways, now I'm spoiling book two, but whatever. It's just, it is what it is. It's, um, this is how you understand these characters and we can discuss them is, is that I just have to explain it. Mm-hmm. And it's also how we can iron it out and stuff. And I hope that people who are interested in the crystalline mythos that you can realize that it's not really necessarily about like, oh, like, I mean, maybe if you started reading a book or one of the stories, like I'll try not to spoil it in that case, but it's about, if you know all this stuff, then we can discuss the themes and the, 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 the philosophy behind it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. But anyways, yeah. So when um, Leona Lovelace is uh, forced to step down and then um, there's a special election and then um, Candy Artaro doesn't run this time because right. she's so worn out by the whole thing. And then Sylvia Moonstone wins. wins. Yeah. yeah. Wins big. And then so um, Sylvia Moonstone becomes the mayor. And um, 
And Chaz Scaith is uh, brought before the World Council um, in mm-hmm. at Nickel Point Mountain. Yeah. Which is where we actually first meet him in the first book when he's yeah I was gonna say that's where uh, Webweaver went and yeah Webweaver went there for a sort of a summit of the world powers and um, yeah anyway so uh, Skaith, uh is brought before them and uh, he's basically sentenced to uh, go into this cryonic deep sleep and. Um, just as a sort of ironic or kind of a punitive thing, they, they put the, the nightmare stone in a cauldron and he has to experience the, the same nightmares that he was broadcasting. Right. Which is, you know, it's, it's dark, but it, I don't know. It seemed fitting to me, you know, <laughs> it totally did. When you said that they put the, put it in there and my, I hadn't like, you hadn't said specifically that he was going to get that. And I was just like, Oh, that's going to affect him. Isn't it? And it's like the next line. You're like, and he's going to experience what he gave to everybody. And that's when I realized, Oh shit, there's a whole bunch of story that I basically got tuned into just now. Like he did this to everybody. The, right. When if, he, if there's, that's what it is, is that if you read some of the stuff and you kind of get familiar, familiarize yourself with the characters, then when, if I, if I'm writing something, maybe if I even just write like um, very short things, like 5,000 words about this character or about this point in the timeline, you can um, glean new information and right. go, oh, wow. And I kind of hope that that'll give people that sort of kick of like, oh, I'm starting to see what's going on, like with different threads and things like that you know yeah no and that entire that's entirely what happened like i read that and i was like oh that's a whole thing like obviously this is supposed to be like an excerpt from i think you said from a magazine at the beginning or something yeah it was called rich people magazine and it's um i don't know i it said it won three moonstone wellington awards so that means that uh, sylvia moonstone has some sort of award she gives to didn't even catch that yeah. yeah wellington is the name of her girlfriend um uh, galactus wellington she's the cf the chief financial officer of the moonstone corporation we talk right. so much about our taro that we don't necessarily always talk that right. about the moonstone corporation yeah we i mean our taro is like the biggest company but they definitely don't have a complete monopoly over society especially uh, after stanley becomes the um, when Stanley takes over the company, basically his dad was the one putting the boot on the neck of everyone else. His dad was the monopoly type mentality of that gangster thing where I don't want my competitors to get the upper hand. So I'm going to do whatever it takes to stay on top. It's not mm-hmm. even good business practice. It's just gangster shit. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a, it's a form of control and power that he was looking. And I didn't even, I love that part about it. Cause it was a kind of like a little look at, basically how Artaro got to be so ubiquitous in the society, in this society that they're just everywhere. Yeah. Like, I would say that Wolfgang, like, I assumed it was Stanley the whole time that had done this. Right. Well, that's the and thing. Assume, when, when you I go into big, like, he was a big control freak and he just liked showing off the whole time. And yeah. Well, was, that's the thing is Stanley Artaro has a public persona mm-hmm. and he's his public persona like the example I used when I was talking to John about it was Willy Wonka because mm. he's, you know, he might come out wearing a big silly top hat and one of those jackets with tails in the back and, and he might, um, 
dance around or something because he might be a hologram that's programmed of him to perform in front of everyone to like give a speech or he might even if it's a real him i imagine he's super charismatic when he wants to be um but it or it might just be um some sort of ad like billboard images of him smiling and Mm -hmm. you know there's a lot of stuff like that um but the real stanley artaro that's kind of a question. And and if I go back and update the story, I'll try to illustrate that better because I'd like to add a little bit more. Um, maybe I'll work on this idea of like Stanley Artaro having a, a very big charismatic public persona, but um, the actual Stanley Artaro is dealing with a lot of things that you would deal with when you're in a f- powerful family like this, when you're in that mm-hmm. context. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think as far as like, the stories that I've read and everything like that, I think you've done a great job at just painting him out. I don't know if you need to give him that, I, that depth. I, I, I think could. it's like the kind of thing, if I wrote a longer story about him, you could do that yeah. with everybody though. That's the thing I could pick any yeah. character and I don't want to just focus on any, like I need to focus on different characters where, you know, you, that's the thing. It's like whack-a-mole. Where's a weak spot. Well, let me, <laughs> let me work on this. And I think the good, the, the, if you were to go back and edit anything, um, a good point to act, give Stanley a little bit more of that, I guess, humanizing feature yeah. would be at the wedding. Oh, you at the wedding? could probably throw in a quick snippet of a scene that shows him putting on the face at the wedding and somehow you see something behind, you see, yeah. you see a glimpse of the other part of him that's beneath the surface. Yeah. Huh. Maybe, I was maybe, thinking... Maybe, not, maybe nothing that's like shown on screen but maybe it's something that is seen by web weaver or somebody behind the scenes talking to him yeah his his wedding is an important thing because it was also in lucid and machina right and um it was a big huge public event kind of like um when the royal family in in Mm -hmm. england get married or something it's like everybody's watching it um so it could be played i mean i imagine it could be in a lot of stories or you know but um I need to flesh out even his later life even more because I went, here's a couple of paragraphs about like multiple yeah. decades, you know? So, yeah. I mean, he lived for 113 years. So there's a, you, I mean, obviously it could be longer than like 3000 words, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, it's just kind of where I'm at right now. Cause I'm, I've only got so much time and I'm always working on something. And I just, I was just happy that I got to the, I was able to flesh it out to where it was like, okay, here's the, here's his whole life, you know? <laughs> All right. I'll put that out and I'll update it later. You know, it was just kind of like that. Um, cool. Cool. Oh, and what did you think about the part when he was on Mars and, uh, okay. Yeah. That was interesting. Cause you talked about like a booming Mars economy near the end of his life that it was growing. Yeah. Oh, sure. Due to Ataro's influence, and I thought that was cool. I you also talked about aliens coming into this now too, and I was just right. like, like the world expansion, uh-huh. from just this one story alone is huge. Like yeah. I get to I get to see previews of book two, obviously, which was cool. Well, the thing is, is it goes then, way beyond book two though in the timeline. Right. Like book two would be like, like a like because it's so greatly expanded, it would probably it all take place in at least in my current drafts and stuff it, it takes place in the year 201 you know yeah. so there's yeah. no real information in that book that takes place maybe beyond the year 202 
Yeah. Well, um, what I mean is like you basically gave me a glimpse of that with just the one line of scathe. About scathe, yeah. And then all of a sudden I'm getting aliens or Mars colonization. You know like, this is crazy. This is a lot of extra stuff. Yeah, like, this this shift in mode reminds me, and maybe it's my own sort of emulation of what Tolkien mm-hmm. did between the way he would do in the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings, he would do an expanded on the ground style, like, okay, we're following Bilbo around or Frodo around and we're going to have a lot of dialogue and, and all that. But in the Silmarillion, there might like the whole War of the Ring <laughs> is at the end of the Silmarillion in this chapter called Of the Third Age and the Rings of Power. And when that bit comes on, it's just like in a one paragraph, it says, and then like, I think it mentions like Gollum or something. And it just mentions like the, the ring was found and it, then there was a halfling that got the ring and then there was destroyed. And then, you know what I mean? Oh, really? And then a new king or something came about and that's it. And it's just kind of like, that's what that kind of is when you're in that mode of, okay, I'm giving a broad, cause Stanley's life being over a century long um, covers a lot of time, you know? And so, um, yeah, anyways, you can see what I'm saying. Yeah, no, it, it, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of time. There's a lot of things that you can put in and you gave a hint at, obviously I think out of everything you probably have like, Oh God, you have at least a good four books that you could have, you could make on different sections in his life. And yeah, sometimes I think about, it would be interesting to have a book about each era and there's like 10 eras. So like, Mm -hmm. or maybe 11 eras total. So um, I don't know. That's a crazy idea, but and you, exactly. We're, we're talking, we're talking like, yeah, I don't know. But, um, but like, I think of that because of the engines of our Taro uh, book thing I was writing or novella thing I was writing where it's just about this era of the steampunk period of time mm-hmm. um, at the beginning of the days of cool. So way before the time period we're currently talking about. And um, I covered it decade by decade. I was like, well, what if, I mean, the entire timeline being a thousand years, it's like, okay, well, if you covered a decade by decade and you had a chapter for each 10 years, that would be like a hundred chapters, <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't know. It's just crazy. Just write the, each chapter about 10 years of time. I don't know. So anyways, um, but that, that's just cause I break up the timeline in my head sometimes. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, yeah. Anyways. Uh, okay. So, and then you were thinking about doing, um, we, let's talk about the interns and all right. So in the story hypnotica, uh, there were these two interns and they, um, I had been thinking about them a little bit. Um, and since we had last talked about it, I did their character design. Oh yeah. And then, um, yeah. And then you were talking about wanting to expand on them and Mm -hmm. I thought that was a cool idea. And so Valor might actually, um, might actually write a story at some point. So I, I, I actually like two weeks ago, I started it. Mm-hmm. Basically, I started the ideas of how I wanted to kind of write it. Um, basically making it journal entries mm-hmm. from the students. Um, and there, I, and I even start, I start, I, the only thing I've written so far, are a couple of journal entries and the disclaimer at the beginning, cause I've figured how are we, how do we get these journals? Mm-hmm. And I was, and I made it to where it was the Artaro corporation has collected these journals. Mm-hmm. And it, this is basically a investigation 
of who this kid was because of the the blonde one the skinny one that went crazy yeah the skinny one that went the skinny one that he's called the acne face the acne faced one yeah the the acne face one that got the spot no wait the acne face one he the acne face one and then there's a neck beard right the neck beard one is the um Survivor. His character design is a little bit bigger. Yes. Yeah. So it's a, it's a skinny acne faced one. So basically, following him because he dies. I mean, my thought was the Atar Corporation had to do had to do an investigation of this kid mm-hmm. because he died. So let me because I wrote this two, a couple weeks ago, and it's just a kind of funny little way to begin this. Sure. Um, but let me see if I can find this here. By the way. Um, how he died spoiler alert uh he he uh there was like these zombie-like creatures called nebuzalorian uh, zombies in the the forest when they were basically the artara labs crew led by dr webweaver went there um to investigate these this issue regarding fungus and they were collecting fungus and they were destroying some old fungus samples and they found because of this fungus it had turned some some tourists into essentially into zombies Mm -hmm. and he attacked one of them uh the acne face intern and then gets killed by that zombie okay that's the setup and in a sense basically he gets bitten turns into one end of his life the story he wrote I thought it was funny because he based they they basically get introduced very briefly and then the, they're there just to die and I loved it. I thought it was funny and you even the you other know, one didn't die. They, yeah, right. The other one didn't die, but they're just even though he's a red shirt. But exactly, yeah. You gave them red shirts even because I had written that in one of my notes. You're like, here, here they go, red shirts. But uh, I I had just grown like a fondness for these characters that just had no no served no real purpose yet. Um, the one but, that survived though, and I'm, I want to hear everything you have on this, but the uh, one that survived, I, I didn't mean to give him a name, but I feel like he's got a name in my head now. Oh, oh just the first name. It's just, okay. Are What's, you okay with me telling you that? I mean, I'm a, but I'm okay in your story, in this story, he doesn't need to have that name yet. I think mm-hmm. his name should be Ron. I don't know his last name or anything like that. I just think it fits him. Yeah. That's the neckbeard one. The yeah. other one, I I don't know yet, but uh, but uh, and he also he died. But um, I was just thinking that Ron should go back when he goes back from at the end of Hypnotica. He becomes an assistant to Enoch Clement. Oh, that's yeah. cool. So that's kind of where he ends up. So anyway, I, I feel, yeah, I feel like anybody going through that the experience that they all went through in mm-hmm. Hypnotica would come out of it severely like either they're going to run away from this whole industry because mm-hmm. that's scary and they almost died or they're just going to delve deeper because now they have more questions i think he's just very obedient to whatever webweaver asks of him but <laughs> at the same time he's kind of scared of dr webweaver and dr webweaver does not care about him at all and not that dr webweaver is a bad guy he's just like what are you in my face for intern Exactly. And he's, so, he's hyper-focused on something else. Yeah. So Dr. Webweaver just basically goes, okay, well, go work for uh, Enoch. And then Enoch's like, okay, I could use a hand. And then he ends up becoming like Enoch's assistant, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. No, I, I, I can see that. I can see that. Um, but here, here this, so similar to how you kind of use do, do little introductions, I kind of put down at the beginning, note this fan fiction is a collection of personal journal entries of an engineering student at Atari University. It precedes Hypnotica. It's not fan fiction. I'm, I'm, I mean, if this meets the yeah. once I once I check it off, this is canon. Right? 
All right. I call it fan fiction for now. Um, yeah, okay. And, and it precedes Hypnotica, the crystalline mythos short story, and runs alongside the beginning of the story. And so the mm -hmm. very first thing you see is 186 Urcus 20. Um, these journal entries and voice memos do not reflect the views or opinions of the Ataro Corporation. The following entries have been collected as part of the investigation by the Ataro Corporation into the life and death of Retracted. During this investigation, no fault of the Artaro Corporation was found. All proper liability documentation was signed by Redacted. While he was, while he was of sound mind and body prior to his death, it is the opinion of this investigator that Redacted knew the risks of this, his internship and therefore died of his own volition. Mm -hmm. Perfect. And Very how Artaro. Yeah, exactly. That's that's how I felt. I was like, uh, this is how I want to start it. I wrote that and I was just like pleased with myself. I was like, okay, this is how I want to want it to feel. Basically, this is the kind of thing that would end up on uh, like Beatrice's desk or something. Exactly. That's what <laughs> I, that's what I wanted it to feel like. I wanted to feel like you're actually yeah. reading something that you, if you were in the world, this is what you would find. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of what I'm working on as well. I mean, but, in doing this story about Stanley as a magazine article, right. it's got this sort of in-world explanation of the existence of this document. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's obviously cool when people do that. And that's also a good way that if you don't know, necessarily know how to answer every single like question, every single thread, you, it's like, well, because the author of whatever document this is, whether it's this internal Artaro document or whether it's a magazine article or whatever, mm -hmm. um, that person do, doesn't know everything They're, They don't have some sort of omnipotent God's eye view of, of Enon or any of that, you know? Right. Yeah, no, and it's a great way to kind of, I think by doing that, you also get, can use little tools to drop people information mm -hmm. in a more subtle way. Um, mm -hmm. Like every single journal entry is going to be preceded by a date. And I'm just curious. I mean, I don't know where you're going but the months are that there are months here and I'm using all the information from the back of lucid mm -hmm. that you gave as far as like the months go, how, how the dating systems there. Yeah. Just to kind of give them a, and he, he will only hint at it a couple of times through it that like, Hey, it looks like I'm looks like I've been doing uh, an entry once a month so far. So then you'll realize, Oh, these things that are these dates that we were seeing at the beginning, that's each month and you get to see kind of the months go by. Yeah, it sounds it sounds really good. It sounds um it sounds like um like a mystery that could unfold a little bit, you know? And I, I like that idea. I wanted to have a little bit of that because they're going he's going to be doing a lot of uh, I mean the more exciting part of it should be happening when the spores start developing on all the mushrooms. Um, yeah, so that's, yeah. And I like the idea of expanding on that idea too, because it's so, um, evocative of the sort of stuff that I want the, the sort of clash between, um, I don't want to say, well, between like civilization and the forest kind of thing, just mm -hmm. this idea that all this stuff with the weird relationships between the, the fungi, whether it's in this case, it's, um, Nebuzalorian origin. Mm -hmm. um, and all this stuff. And then the corporation sort of like trying to grapple with these things. I just, I really like that stuff. Cause it, it, in hypnotica, hypnotica might be, in my opinion, it might be my favorite of the short stories. Um, 
I, I think it. I think it's one of my favorite of the short stories so far. Yeah, I mean, I like things from all of them, but I think Hypnotica had both a good world-building component to it, and so did Sublimina before it had that. But then um, I think that there's more adventure and um, action in Hypnotica than in Sublimina. Mm-hmm. And then if I compared like Hypnotica to something like Emotipunk, which had uh, or emotipunk which has uh these characters in machina and like about their lives and stuff that's so interpersonal that it lacks the whole science i mean it has some science fiction but it, it lacks the the um i don't know that deeply uh almost like the weird fiction almost like lovecraftian type horror it doesn't have any of that so that it's just a place i got to put a lot of the elements i really wanted to put so um anyway i don't know so i like the idea of expanding on some of that stuff and that this story relates to that story it might you know be able to still include some of that same stuff so i just think it's so cool and yeah um i'm glad that we're getting to talk about it a little bit more because um i think that that story is going to be a really good addition to those the short story collection you know yeah well i'm I'm happy i'm happy that you you like it yeah i think it's i think it's a dope idea well Um, so part of let me bounce this off of you because I'm not sure as far as like the science of the world, I'm taking it much more at like a high level. I'm trying to make it to where I've make it I've made it to where this intern, this engine this engineering intern is like very is like early entry level to the college. He just started at Tara University and then he got this internship. Um, I'm also okay. making I'm also making it to where he basically he he's already heard of Scathe. He's going to mm-hmm. be a fan of Scathe. You're talking about the acne-faced one. Yes. Okay. I want him to be a fan of Scathe. I want him to be like wanting to do nightmare experiments at the university. Um, well, yeah. So the thing is, is that the um, book the I you'd have to look it up. I think it's called um, Iconoclasm and Nihilism. And uh-huh. there's also the um, I think it's called the uh, Iconoclast Versus. It's, I, I don't know. I'd have to make sure these are right. But I, the book I'm pretty sure is, and it's mentioned in Hypnotica, is um, that book is not like impossible to get a hold of. So if he got a hold of, like Ren has a copy of that book. So if he has the same book that Ren has, um, and, and Gilliam Lennon got, I think, that book. And, and you could always check from Sublimina which text Gillian mm-hmm. Lennon had, but um, Gillian Lennon went crazy from reading Skate's writings and um, okay. Thea Wren eventually joined the Iconoclast faction mm-hmm. because of reading. Basically, people read what this guy's writing and then they start to like, I don't know, man, they get like glassy eyed and go, oh man, like I got <laughs> at the mouth almost. That's what I want to happen to this ca- this character. I, I basically. The yeah. idea is he starts getting a little too crazy, I feel like, without un- fully understanding anything, that he takes the infected mushrooms mm-hmm. and starts trying to test them on bamboo lemurs. lemurs. Yeah, I think that's so perfect because um, okay. at Artaro University, they, there's, I picture, and I've talked to you about this before, that there would be these big greenhouses that um, Harriet Artaro maybe had founded um in the atomic tech era and that there could be things like um 
these multicolored lemurs. And I imagine that like, it would be cool. It would be cool if um, the neckbeard one or Ron or whatever, but that he, um, you know, is like dyeing their fur different or not dying. I'm sorry. They do the genetic, they test the genetic shampoos on the lemurs. So it's like the lemurs or the animals there could be sort of for animal testing, but you wouldn't test, uh, black necron fungi on on them mm-hmm. i mean that's that's a um i don't know that's a bit crazy even for uh the artaro pharmaceuticals people you know so mm-hmm. um so yeah i think it's uh, it makes some sense and that would be a good angle to do it from i i like what you had just told me because this is now an addition ron is working on genetic modification of the bamboo leapers or uh, genetic shampoos are an Artaro product. So if they're, see, Clementine Artaro. Right, because you told me that their hair gets permanent, like it grows that Yeah, color. when you dye your hair in um, in uh, Machina or Plastibly or any of the technological cities, mm-hmm. then um, there's generally Artaro um, or, or Candy Cosmo products too. Um, but, uh, these products were for, I mean, I think that they were really made super commercial by Stanley Artaro's mom, Clementine. Right. Um, and they actually, they might've come about as early as the atomic tech era. Cause that's the era that's like, kind of like the 1950s where we're like, Oh, the washing machine, the <laughs> microwave, like a lot of new inventions. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. I mean, cause if you look far enough back in the, um, Artaro family line, like Winston and Ronald, they just have brown hair. And it's not until you get to Peabody that you start to see green hair and weird colors of I've hair. I've of your photos and I didn't, now that you're saying that, it's kind of like coming to me like, oh yeah. This, yeah. It, it kind of also I mean, gives, it gives kind of like a timeline period when you just look at them visually. You yeah. see regular colored hair and then all of a sudden you see colors and you're like. Peabody oh. and Harriet suddenly have green hair and stuff. And uh, that, and Peabody was an inventor. So now see, you see how these things, I always... I go, oh, okay. So that means, that means Peabody and Harriet, or, uh, I mean, they, they probably Peabody invented Mm -hmm. the genetic shampoo stuff because he invented all kinds of stuff. And, um, and, um, yeah. And so then, uh, him and Harriet had Dimitri, um, who died and Wolfgang, Wolfgang marries Clementine Leavenworth Artaro. Clementine, um, Leavenworth Artaro, is almost like, uh, what's that um, woman that had the uh, cooking shows and then she uh, she became friends with Snoop Dogg and stuff? Oh. Um, Martha Stewart? Martha Stewart, yeah. She's almost like something like that, but she probably talks in one of those, uh, like, uh, Southern, like, like, I don't know. Oh, if, yeah. So, like, a Southern, like, Southern, like, like, would you like some sweet tea kind of? Yeah, vibe? yeah. Uh, with almost like a very old school vibe, but um, she uh, she uh, like did a lot of this like uh, business around so like almost like Amway style, like buy the Tupperware, <laughs> like buy, uh, you know what I mean? Because and it gets mm-hmm. into all the cheesiness of Artaro. Like she was somebody who was really like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that okay, so yeah, but uh, while all this is happening, like people like Enoch at, at um, well, I mean later, but you know, people like Enoch who work in pharmaceuticals or people who are, are at Artaro University 
which Enoch was too. I mean, he's very back and forth at the university. And I mean, so would, so that's how Webweaver knows him from their college days, but that's way back. So that'd probably be during Peabody's era that they were in school, mm-hmm. you see. So um, things like the genetic shampoos, that that's the kind of thing that, you know, they're studying to make sure it's healthy. It's okay for the public. Cause you could have, you could picture some other story where somebody uh, uses some product and it, you know, it turns, I don't know, it turns them into a mutant or, or makes right. their skin fall off or something crazy like that. Yeah. You could, you could go, you could go a million ways with that type of, uh, yeah. with that kind of setup, I guess. Right. Right. Cause especially with, uh, the Artaro Corporation and all the weird shit they put out, all the, right. <laughs> it's a very unregulated market in Machina. You know, it's like, well, sometimes they'll, they'll, um, like John was asking me, like, do, are there, and Artaro doesn't make these, uh, the Finnegan machinery company does, but he was like, are there safeties on the, the laser blasters? And, oh, interesting. And when he said that to me, my thought that went through my head was probably not for a long time, but probably eventually. But you know, yeah. the parliament would have had to decide like, okay, let's put safeties on these things because people are accidentally shooting the lasers at, and, and yeah. disintegrating each other. And like, <laughs> you know, if you get shot by a laser blaster, you get eviscerated. And, and in the real world, we have problems with uh, gun deaths and things from accidents. And you mm-hmm. can picture a lot of those sort of insurance type questions uh, like accidents, you know, why you have seatbelts in cars, like, you know. Mm-hmm. These are the kind of things that big companies have to deal with. I don't know. It's funny. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I, I think testing on the, uh, testing at the university, what you said with Ron. Makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. And I think I've, you've just given me the way that acne face meets Ron. Yeah. And, and the reason why he would even meet, why he would even start talking to him is because he wants these bamboo lemurs because he wants to test them and he wants to try to make that, give them that. What if, all right, I, what if the acne face, I mean, the acne face guy, his name, and I'm not saying don't put him in this story maybe, mm-hmm. but maybe just so we have like know their names is Don. Okay. okay. Yeah. Because then they're Ron and Don and um, that's makes sense like to me. It. It's kind of funny. Yeah. And um uh, yeah, because then it's and it's not because uh, the name Dave came to my mind, but then I was like, I already have a character named Self Care Dave. I was talking about this as like this terrible yeah. influencer type guy. It's mm-hmm. like a actually he's I picture him being that in in uh, Lucid Machina, the tech bro that's in the restaurant that's like ordering fish, and he's like, my fish is undercooked, and he's complaining. Oh, yeah. That guy is like some kind of online entrepreneur bullshit you know <laughs> anyway i'm but that point is this is that character's name would be dave so there there's like a lot of characters so it's, you know okay. anyway I, I like don and ron because i mean the rhyming goes perfect with yeah a couple of and i and the the entire thing on this little thing is on what the what you call this story that i'm writing i i'm thinking names are going to be avoided completely because right now, whenever I come to mm. a name, when I read you that part, I have square brackets and it just says redacted mm-hmm. capital letters. And so as you're going through, you'll see that every once in a while. Yeah. And I, I don't think I'll specify who's being redacted. I think if there's to- supplemental information like, or whatever, I mean, we could talk about it after the whole story's written. Yeah. Right. It, it might be something that's included there or not, or not, yeah, exactly. you know, 
Yeah, you no, know, yeah. like you do in a lot of the back of your short stories and your all of your yeah. stories, you kind of put a little back information for everybody. Like, hey, this is this person. This the main, this. the only main reason why I wanted to come up with that stuff is because I'm thinking that um, in building out Artara Labs a little better, I think that it would make sense that um, Ron would stay on at Artara Labs. So he actually works there during the time of Lucid and Machina and stuff. He just works mm-hmm. for Enoch. So it's just like, yeah. oh, okay, that's but why you, you don't you see don't him. Actually get to see him. Yeah, there's no reason for us to that, that way if in future stories and stuff he could pop up and um, and it's like okay they're not just like because I always talk about Artara Labs is like oh like Webweaver was dealing with there's like guys in the garage that were like wearing hard hats like who are these people I don't know or it's like uh, oh there's interns but it doesn't name any of them or there's uh, mm-hmm. lab scientists or, or or marketing people and and they're just in and out and you don't know who they are and the only mm-hmm. ones you know who they are is Dr. Webweaver, Penelope, Thea Wren, Janice Biggs, Enoch Clement, and 1K. And mm-hmm. at least now it's like, okay, well, there's this Ron guy as well. <laughs> and he's in <laughs> there. So, yeah. okay. So there we go. All right. So uh, I feel like we covered something kind of interesting there. Yeah. All right. So um, let's get into... Uh, some of the metaphysical stuff um, be- for a little while, if that's chill. So, yeah. so we were kind of talking about the aliens. Um, oh yeah. I know what it was. I wanted to talk about was the Agilarians when I was talking to you about why and the chi- versus the cheese theorists. So this isn't, this is some stuff I'd been thinking about because you're asking, well, so you're saying it is a simulation is it is it not and i was i I was really thinking of it like a simulation for a little while so i started asking myself so okay well what would it be like if the crystalline mythos is not a simulation if it was just a a universe or and and this is how the agilarian i was saying this is how the agilarians see it Mm -hmm. so what is the agilarian so are the agilarians just wrong about everything and when i started to think that i was kind of like well that's not good i want them to have some piece of wisdom that the Artaro Corporation doesn't have. Mm -hmm. And I think that what they know about are the Aeons and that this fills in this idea. Yeah. Okay, so I know this is like a complicated thing to unpack, but um, if you look at the timeline and there's different eras, uh, if you go way back, you see you go back from the whole days of cool to um, that's, you know, whether it's the tech era or the engines era, you go back before that, you end up in the days of void when everybody's living underground, you go back before that, before the Oros Boros, when the world, um, had a big apocalyptic event, you end up in something that looked like a sort of idealistic America. And that was, or just an idealistic, like 20th century construct. And that was the good old days. And some, mm-hmm. the cheese theorists think of it as a simulated, t- like it was like, simulacra of of the real world which is how i had been thinking about it and then you go back before that lasted for 64 years the the good old day good old days okay but i also say that before the good old days and this is the very beginning was another 64 year period known as um the early construct so i started thinking about like what would the early construct be like 64 years and i started to go well what if it's 64 years but but on the timeline it said there's time dilations what does that mean mm-hmm. well it means it's it's 64 years but it could have been a thousand years 
Yeah. So the time stops to look. And so as I started to think about that, I started to think, well, um, maybe it's like a time, like imagine you were making the universe as a video game. Mm-hmm. Um, it'd be that period of time where everything's all clunky and you're testing everything. Right. Right. And that was how I was sort of thinking about it from this sort of cheese theorist um, perspective. And so I was, I was writing in my notes and I was thinking about, well, what do the Agilarians think happened at the beginning? And I started coming up with this idea that they have their own sort of telling of the creation of during the um, early construct. Mm. And that led me to think that maybe um, they tell it a bit more like the biblical story where, but also with like some, um, something almost like a pantheon that's predates anything like the golden revel or anything like that. It's the aeons. And um, the idea is that one aeon is a being that oversees a realm. And so the easiest example of one of the aeons would be Agilaria, the Agilarian ephemeral realm. Uh Agilaria was this like sort of feminine deity that oversaw the rules and her nature is sort of tied to the Agilarian ephemeral realm. So she's like almost like a goddess of time of, of um, things like memory and, and um, things associated with and with um, change and things like that. Mm-hmm. Cause it, okay. Cause that's, what's ephemeral. So, and then I thought of, okay, but what about the green world that's exist in a material realm? Mm-hmm. And so I came up with uh, the idea of a character, the, like another Aeon called um, Materio Descartes. <laughs> or, and I was like, what Materio? And when I thought about that, I was like, well, he's kind of like, if, if Aguilaria is like the Eve, he'd be like the Adam. You know what I'm saying? So you got mm-hmm. it. Um, and so, okay. And then I thought, well, then there's Nebuzalor would be for the Nebuzalorian mm-hmm. realm. Mm-hmm. And then I, in the current cosmology, I say, okay, well, there's unknown realms. There's other realms, but they're not really named or identified that much. And I, I thought maybe one of them could be have to do with if the whole thing is a simulation, one of the realms that's unknown is the cyberspace or something, not even inner space is like cyberspace, like because bigger. <laughs> so that maybe that'd be a good reason why I don't call the internet cyberspace. I call it interspace in the story mm-hmm. because it's like the whole universe is cyberspace. If maybe, I don't know, but th- these are weird, complicated ideas. Mm-hmm. But the point is, is that the Agilarians, for all the things that the cheese theorists know through their science, they never, they never believed any of this stuff. This like, they don't believe in gods. Like what, this is, that's stupid, you know, but the Agilarians, they, they through, I don't, I don't know where the initial documentation would come from, maybe from like a tablet or something, but it ends up in their, their four river scrolls document as um, which Katanaka wrote at some point Mm -hmm. in her life. So anyways, that's just a whole other Pandora's a, box worth of shit there. I'm thinking about. That's cool. Yeah. The Agilarians, they get underserved. I, 
maybe I need to, that's what I need to sit down and write a story about. It's just them, you know, mm -hmm. I've done that a bit. And I have this character who I haven't written much, but I designed called, um, Real Arcuse. And, um, he worked, he was a scribe and, and academic historian. And he writes things for, he works specifically only for Tatsunaka. Mm -hmm. So part of me is thinking I should write a story with him as the narrative voice. Uh, Boom. Right. There you go. Maybe that's my next project. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. Anyway. Yeah, no, I yeah. like it. Anyways, okay. So we talked Crystal and Mythos. I feel like we've covered it. And we talked, um, the, all right. So only last thing, and then we can, I don't know, we've been talking for an hour and a half is we could talk about some just weird, trippy, popular science stuff. I don't know what you've been thinking about in that domain. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, what, what have I been thinking about so far in that domain? Well, have you been playing, you, did you play Cyberpunk 2077? No, I didn't. I, no. I, I just have a PS3. That's yeah. No, I'm, I just, the update just came out, and so I might get back at it. I didn't play it that much, but... Um, I guess I was just thinking because I was telling John, oh, we should talk about cyborgs and uh, we should talk about, and we never mm -hmm. did that. And I don't know, but we ended, well, we sort of did. But, um, and then last time in the episode we had done, we had to, had this like lengthy talk about GMOs and, and energy yeah. and, and I don't really care what we talked about, but that was just why I suggested, you know, because we actually sounded like kind of pretty good. Like, oh man, we're, we're talking about uh, like, uh, sort of like the what it would be like when humans are on Mars and the way nations, states, and I don't yeah. know if I had had just good coffee that day or and I, my brain was real awake. But, you know, we 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 riffed on that uh, yeah. science part of it really well. I think that was like a good half hour too. Right, right. So I just um, don't know what you you've been thinking about it in regard to anything like that. Um, I don't know. I. I guess I've been thinking a bit more about, um, you know, I've just been thinking about how we're even more um, stepping into the digital future and that that concept, it keeps coming back to me because I'm realizing that society keeps thinking, I think many people look at this like technology, like the internet or all this mm -hmm. stuff that's come about because of it as um, a new thing and they're imagining it's like a fad <laughs> like it'll go back to the way it was in the 90s when <laughs> all the all the movies were like office space and stuff and mm. we had technology but it wasn't scary yet maybe or, or it wasn't as ingrained in our lives like yeah and but instead what we're seeing is it's like no it's they're still working on Neuralink. they're still um yeah. we're still we're you know we're becoming we're, more interconnected as every day and that's that's never going to go away, I think, unless, hold on just a second, unless, um, unless we basically get a world-changing event. Like a pandemic? <laughs> Even this pandemic, all this pandemic has done is really- it exacerbated it, the whole thing. Yeah, right. You and I have never Zoomed until- yeah. then. Right. Right. And right. I never, I never even did this much zooming until the pandemic started. Like I right. have like a, a trivia group that I go to. Um, it's well, I'm active on social media just because I'm sitting around at home all the time. Yeah. And Cherish and I, my wife constantly sends us, send each other like memes and shit like that just because 
even though we're sitting next to each other on the couch. Right. And everybody like is communicating through our phones and we're texting and um, it's just so detached from material space now. And I'm, and, and it's like, I think a lot of the companies um, they've been selling, like I'm thinking of the companies that sell things like smartphones. They're, they've got this pressure to like come up with a new phone each time. And now that pressure is evolving into, well, we can't just keep coming up with a new phone each year because people don't care. So like, we're going to have to do AR and we're going to have like, you know, you're, and you're seeing Apple and um, their, all the, their competitors being like, okay, like maybe we do need to do the glasses like for real. And there's a lot of stuff like that mm-hmm. um, where it's just, and it's so interesting because it's a big experiment that we're just, we're, in, we're living in a huge technological, nonstop technological experiment. <laughs> I mean, I would argue that ever since we started learning to communicate with one another is when it, it became inevitable, mm-hmm. this was going to happen. Because basically the entire reason to communicate with one another is to get on the same page and basically act like a like a, like a like a civilized being remember we were we were talking about how uh one of the pressures that why humans even evolved into humans was because if you uh they would hit you on the head with a rock unless you could communicate well <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. that's a pressure to evolve some like language or or a cooperative uh, sort of um right. you know tools yeah i mean the 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 idea i mean being like it, the community that does develop language is going to be stronger, mm-hmm. able to find food, able to cooperate better than the one who doesn't. And they'll just die out. Yeah, and this one's going to take over. This one, and if they ever meet, this one's definitely going to have an upper hand because they can coordinate and attack, yeah. even if it's slightly bit better. But what I'm getting at with the whole idea that technology is becoming so overwhelming in our lives is that, like, if you think about it. We just the idea that we would communicate and start becoming more of a collective is kind of ingrained in our in how life started on this planet. Right. There's some. There's an evolutionary element to it. Exactly. That's sort of unavoidable. The entire reason we became a multicellular organism is because the single cells realized that they could work together. Oh, okay. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, you really went to the fundamentals. This is what I'm getting at. Like, yeah. so I, I, the reason why I was saying, like, I think once we started communicating with one another, even with just simple hand symbols and nods, I think it became inevitable that if this progresses, yeah, we, we're leading to what we're doing now. We, and we, we kind of took it to in a way of where we have external means of traveling long distances and communicating long distances as opposed to developing developing them within ourselves yeah and but i mean there's plenty of creatures out there who create things outside of themselves in order to use them as a tool so i don't think that's i personally don't think that's something too unnatural for us to be using zoom it seems very strange because it didn't come about naturally yes well and i'm sure when the telephone was invented it was looked at as 
a scary new technology. It was like, you could talk to a person on the, what are there? Was there a ghost inside of this thing? You know, right. I mean, <laughs> even the idea of a printing press, like the idea yeah. that you could write something down and then distribute that on a massive scale, as opposed to writing a single letter, having to copy that out over and over again in order to distribute what you're thinking. A printing press, you got to spread out your news. It's just like little steps. If you think about it, we're almost going to become a collective I don't know if we can because there's too much of a individuality to us as people. And people want to retain that. They don't want yeah, to. Let people, people will fight and die to retain that. And I don't fault them at all for that. I think that's, I, yeah. I, I am, I look forward to being more connected with everybody. I look forward to being able to communicate with you instantly mm -hmm. at the click of a button. But you don't want to be the Borg. That's what we keep coming exactly, back to. Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Do you want to become the, are you going to let it go to where we start putting chips in our head? Ah, there's like this weird balance, right? Of like, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of those kinds of things that were, that are really going to, because I think people will put chips in their head. I mean, at well, least, you know, I mean, the amount of like things we kind of submit to at this point kind of shows that humanity will probably be like, yeah, okay, let's just put the chip in my head. Cause then I could get Netflix in my brain, <laughs> you I know? Mean, right. <laughs> that's, the, that's the thing. Like it's gonna be, it'll be a slow thing. Like just going back, just pulling up crystal and mythos. You have that chef who just starts replacing body parts. I can entirely see people doing that nowadays. If there was a good, like strong arm out there and my arm was just, like and i was in a work working in somewhere where i wanted that arm i would i would probably do it yeah i don't know we'd have, they'd have to have a really good job i mean where bionics are at they they you know the, the, when you see people like using them they're like it's it's there's still something off about even if they really seem like a miracle that they you know they have another arm and stuff like there's a reason why we give bionic arms to people who have had lost their arms. We don't just like pick people and cut off their arm. Right. No, I, I'm thinking along the lines of like in, in the, uh, maybe eventually though. Oh, yeah. sure. Sure. In the science fiction context, in the science fiction context. Yeah. It's an actual arm that works as good as my arm and I can, I can get feeling out of it and it's stronger. Your audio is a little bit muffled. I think. Oh, is it? Yeah. I don't know. Um, is that, can you hear me better? Yeah. I don't know. It, it just, anyways. Um, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's pretty interesting. I, I, I definitely see what you're saying. And I think it continues from a theme that it was sort of showing up um, from our last conversation. Again, when you were talking about your own science fiction story ideas, you were talking about um, humans eventually just living in sort of robotic bodies and, and for mm -hmm. space travel purposes. Right. Because and of how difficult it is to survive in outer space and what you get from that though is the same it's like that's the inevitable um conclusion of like cybernetic body part replacement well it can go to where you're just the ghost in the shell you know yes right right, right. and i mean for the most part again like i had told you last time we talked i think that's almost inevitable what we're going to. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. Cause it just depends what kind of environment you live in. I mean, maybe if you yeah. lived in cold space, that might be the situation, yeah, that's right. but if you lived on the surface of the earth or Mars or something like that, then you might just engineer 
um, a per the 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 people to to best survive on that in that environment. Now, oh. I, I think that there's. I'm sorry. I just want one idea is that yeah. um, there's a driver for to end um, disease and to have life extension in that context, but there might not be the driver to because it might not be enjoyable, for instance, to have metal arms and stuff if you can't mm. feel for instance oh. like feel the wind on your skin like this the wind on your skin there's reasons why i mean evolution is very good at i mean technology might get to where like if you had a robotic arm where you had that same resolution of feeling see what i'm saying these are mm-hmm. i mean you'd have to have some really damn good technology uh yeah anyway I mean, I mean that that that's all part of like AI learning what the uh, electrical signals that we send to our brain are doing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, how long have we had this technology to give people some robotic limbs? I mean, we're talking the way we're talking about it is not just a hundred years away. It's like a, this kind of stuff you'd picture in a thousand years or something. It's like the idea of of consciousness living in sort of machine futuristic machine humans but yeah overcoming all of those sort of like it's not like you're clunky robots because a lot of times when you see cyborgs in movies and stuff like Mm -hmm. cyborg like he he or or robocop i mean it's always the same thing is they always Mm -hmm. get chopped like in half and they don't have their their legs or their man parts. Okay. It's, it's, it sucks. And it's, and, and they're, but, and they, they're all depressed about it, but they, at least they get to go do some good and fight bad guys. And um, I mean, I think a big part about that is you visually lose a part of your humanity. So they play off of that. And that's what happens to them too. They lose that part. But we're talking way more advanced. Exactly. And that's when I say inevitable, when I say inevitable, I'm thinking like so far in the future, like I'm assuming human humanity lives to the explosion of the sun that swallows earth and burns Mars. And at that point, we can't live in this solar system. Right. We're gone. And if we're gone, long distance space travel as a human body. Yeah, exactly. Interstellar. Once you get to, uh, if you're an interstellar space, like what the what humanity would become in the context of interstellar space travel mm-hmm. is like who knows i mean you're right. and even and, when we talk about that if i'm talking about that type of time distance from us now that's so far in the future that maybe interstellar travel is actually like easier on the they figure out a way to make the human body survive it because i'm there's i'm pretty sure like there's a going to be a huge push for us to be able to survive that and send an actual person mm-hmm. just put a person on the moon mm-hmm. there's no reason to do it because we can send a rover to go grab a rock and bring it back um we can figure out ways of get doing the doing the si- bringing the science back to earth and doing it here um but the reason why we sent a human is ego in a sense mm. and i'm sure we would want to do interstellar travel with people but I still feel like inevitably there's going to be. Yeah. You people, you're looking to improve efficiency. Mm-hmm. Um, after, I mean, the first time you put a man on the moon, they declare, you know, this is like this big deal. And, um, but after that it, it's, well, let's just send a robot. And that's kind of how it goes. Cause logistics and things like that. Yeah. It's an interesting thought. Um, 
I'd like to, maybe not this, maybe we should just wrap up, but um, in the future, I'd like to talk about the, the Star Fairy Echo uh, space era of the Crystalline Mythos stuff. And, oh, okay. I mean, you know, I, I just want to map out all of it. So, but anyways. I mean, we've done, we, you, you've done that a good amount. I know, but, you know. We talked a good amount about like the aeons and yeah. some of the, dropping hints to some of the rest of the universe and your latest short story too. It would be cool like to come up with outlines for things. Like sometimes I think it would be cool to put or to make outlines that could eventually be like scripts or something. Mm -hmm. Or they could be the outlines for short stories or both. And that's how the whole mythos, like, like I was saying, if you broke up the mythos into 10 years of thing, like a story, like I wrote one story about every, you could make the whole thing a hundred stories. Mm -hmm. um, it's the same thing. If it was on TV, you could make a hundred episodes and make one about, I mean, that's kind of not necessarily a great idea, but, <laughs> um, but like, it would just be cool to break down some of those, like the the deep space future stuff. And mm -hmm. anyways, um, but yeah, if you ever do uh, write your own uh, space stuff about that kind of thing you're talking about, that's pretty dope too. Cause yeah, you got no. some, your brain's going in a very out there way, but it's kind of mapped out. It's kind of realistic in a weird way too. It's just deep sci-fi. Yeah. No, it's kind of, it's my mind just yeah. trying to bring, make some, future prediction real and then that's yeah. where i want the story to begin right like, like this is how the world the world is the regular world and then we just move so far in the future that it feels like a completely different universe but i could have an explanation for us getting there as regular people i the story i because i've thought i've i've uh been writing little notes about this story as well for myself and it's I don't know if I want to actually address that this is the real future as much as just make this, make it seem like it's in some weird universe. Right. Well, that's the thing about a lot of the really deep future science fiction out there mm -hmm. is that it actually is people mapping out a potential far future. It's just, they're thinking about the deep future. I mean, mm -hmm. even Dune, which seems so out there is like a deep, future of this timeline it's just the main reason why it doesn't seem plausible to people is because of the butlerian jihad led to the outlawing of computers and robots and technology like that mm -hmm. and so it becomes like a very strong human future it's like the ultimate in soft science fiction in that sense yeah. and um anyways we can get in i feel like we're at a good spot to wrap up but my point is is that uh yeah that's what you're what you're saying reminds me of is like deep future sci-fi and and yeah. hey thanks for listening everyone um if you want to support the podcast you can at patreon uh there's a link to that in the show notes so that's patreon.com slash crystalline mythos or check out crystalline mythos.com all right thanks again everybody all right bye bye yeah Thank you.